Amen. There is no other name given amongst men in heaven and on earth other than the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And it is not just the earth that shakes and trembles, but all evil shakes and trembles at the mighty name of Jesus. Depression shakes and trembles. Anxiety shakes and trembles. And addiction shakes and trembles at the name of Jesus. Broken hearts are healed and mended at the mighty name of Jesus. Father, would these not just be truths that we proclaim, songs that we sing, but would these be at the core of who we are, our identity, shaped by no other name but the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you not just fall on this place, but would you fill this place with your presence today? Would you be a tangible force in here today so that we, we don't just learn a bunch of new stuff, but we leave here as changed children of God from one degree of glory to the next. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Amazing. Thank you, Michael Dolan. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and in first service, I thanked, and I'd like to do that again, our AV heroes back there, Ron and Jim and Jeffrey and Evan and everybody else that week after week just such an amazing job of getting the slides ready, making sure everything is functioning the way that it should. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning. My name is David, and uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. So it is wonderful to be worshiping with you this morning. I, too, see a lot of new faces here. So welcome uh, to you all. We are in week four of Advent, and week four of our sermon series, which we've titled No Other Name. The series is built on one of the most well-known, one of the greatest prophecies about Jesus, which was foretold by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, traditionally, and to remind us of who Jesus is and the gifts that he gives us, we celebrate a different theme each week of Advent. And I hope you've enjoyed the videos each week, and a huge thank you to Joel and Terry and Bart and Heather and Joe and Nicole and Jen, uh, Andrea, Tim, everybody else who was involved in the setup and production of those videos. Uh, week one, we heard a deeply inspiring uh, message, testimony of hope. Week two, uh, of bringing peace into brokenness. And last week, Joe and Nicole blessed us with their journey, and through their vulnerability, we saw an incredible demonstration of God's love. And of course, today we were blessed by Jen's very own testimony in our final week of joy. And so today, we're going to learn how there is unshakable joy found in no other name than our mighty God, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our scripture for today will again be Isaiah chapter 9. 
We're going to read verses 1 through 7. If you want to follow along in the pew back uh, Bible in front of you, we're on page 559. If you do not have one, that is yours to keep. Merry Christmas. Uh, the verse will always also be uh, up on the screen as well. But join me in Isaiah chapter 9. Again, we will read verses 1 through 7. Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, that is God, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their presser. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that this week you took the pen out of my hand and, and you wrote this. Father, no one needs to hear my words I don't even want to hear my words. We need to hear from you. We need to hear words of life from you. And so, Father, would you take this message and would you move it from our head into our hearts and into our hands that we would not just receive the blessing but live from a place of that blessing, blessing others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this birth announcement, 700 years in advance, a little early, right? Now, I've seen many birth announcements, right? With the advent of social media, you can see birth announcements from people you will never meet and never know, ever. I bet you've all seen more than I have, but there will never be one like this again, like the one we have from Isaiah. The more I've studied it these past four weeks, the more I've prayed over it, meditated about it, the more I am in awe of it. Each name designating an aspect of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Each designation taking us deeper and deeper into his identity. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And I remarked last week that Isaiah seems to confront us with a paradox, right? A child born, a son given, he will be called everlasting father. And this week, the child born, the helpless, limited, dependent, can do nothing but cry, child, mighty God. In fact, 
It says in the Hebrew, he shall be called El Giver. El is the shortened form of Elohim, which of course we know means God. And whenever El is used, it refers to the mighty one. Gibor itself means mighty. So what Isaiah actually wrote is this Jesus is the mighty, mighty God. Now, why was that good news of great joy for Isaiah and the Israelites? And why is that good news of great joy for me and for you? Well, remember, Israel, in the time of the prophet Isaiah, was miserable, literally, morally, spiritually, economically, relationally. The misery hits a crescendo in Isaiah chapter 8 when he writes in verse 22, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Darkness is the Hebrew word hosek, which means intense misery. What misery? Well, many of you will remember at the people's request, God sent kings to rule over them and have them keep God's ways, but they didn't. The people didn't and the kings didn't. Then God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people to plead with his people to repent and turn back to him. Well, his people killed the prophets and worshipped idols instead. And so God allowed the Assyrians to invade and enslave Israel. Assyria was the rod of the Lord's anger, as Isaiah writes in chapter 10. But what does Isaiah write in chapter 9? Well, we've read it the past four weeks. He names Zebulun and Naphtali, which were two of the northern tribes of Israel, which were decimated by the Assyrians. And he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That into the intense misery, a more intense light would shine. Israel was not going to claw its way out of the misery and find joy. No, into their misery, into their pain, into their suffering, this great light would shine. This light would come into their darkness. A mighty, mighty God. They needed him then, and we need him now. And so what I want to do with the rest of my time is to make one point. Not my usual three, my one. And so I'll make it up next year with interest. <laughs> one point, just one, although I do believe that this one point is a life-changing one to really get your mind, your heart, your soul around. And this is the one point that stood out to me in my study this week that I could not get away from. That Jesus is the mighty, mighty God over all circumstances. He is the mighty, mighty God over all circumstances. And I know that this is going to be a huge encouragement for many of us. Now, part of my story, as many of you know, is that my journey to faith took me through two years of trying to disprove the existence of God. Another story for another time. But what I'm about to go through is one of the major pieces of evidence that convinced me that Christianity was true. Now, no, 
I'm not diminishing in any way the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is that I believe the Holy Spirit used what we're about to go through to open my eyes. And as, as somebody whose faith at times gets weak, I return to this stuff all the time. And it encourages me over and over again. So what is this evidence that Jesus is the mighty, mighty God over all circumstances? Well, remember how in Isaiah 9-1, he names those two regions, Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, 700 years later, we get this in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. So 700 years after, Isaiah makes a seemingly obscure prophecy about two somewhat random regions in Israel. Here is Jesus fulfilling that prophecy. Jesus is the light of the world that shined into their darkness. And in that region, he carried out the majority of his ministry, healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead. All right, neat, you say. But the prophecy came first, and then Jesus fulfilled it. Like, maybe not always easy, but definitely not impossible, and certainly not it certainly doesn't convince me that Jesus has power over all circumstances. And I'm going through some stuff right now, and so I need something better than that. Fair enough. To fulfill prophecy during his life does not necessarily mean that Jesus has power over all circumstances. But what about fulfilling prophecy before he was born? Look, I am no medical expert, but I feel really confident in saying that you and I had exactly zero power over the circumstances of our birth. I had no control who my parents were, where I would be born, how I would be born, when I would be born. By definition, to have control over the circumstances of your birth, you would need to have existed before your birth which we'll get back to in a second. Now, there are more than a dozen prophecies about the birth of Jesus, all of which he fulfilled, but let me read you eight of them. Number one, he will be born of a virgin. Two, he will be called the son of God. He will be a descendant of Abraham, from the line of Isaac, from the tribe of Judah, from the family of Jesse, from the house of David, and he will be born in Bethlehem. Now, remember, there's more than just those. And before I continue, from a virgin? Like, that's not how it works. And to calculate the probability of any one person fulfilling those eight prophecies, you actually have to remove the first one. Because the probability of somebody being born a virgin is actually zero. 
The mathematical probability of anyone fulfilling eight prophecies is one to the power of 1,017, or one in 100 quadrillion. The chair of the math and astronomy department at Pasadena City College, a guy by the name of Peter Stoner, articulated it this way. He said, the equivalent probability of this is if you covered the face of Texas, the entire landmass of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep, and on one of them, you made a mark with a pen, and you blindfolded somebody, and they had one chance to pick out one coin, and they picked out the one you marked. And Jesus not only fulfilled these eight and more, he fulfilled them before his own birth. For that to happen, two things have to be true. You have to exist before your birth, and you have to have power over every single circumstance. Unconvinced? All right. Let's make the Christmas story even more incredible and show you that Jesus is in control over even the smallest details. My favorite gospel is the gospel of Luke. He is about the details, and I loves me some details. In Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in the field where they were keeping watch over their flocks. And the angel says to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And the story continues. And the shepherds leave the field to go see about this Savior. But before they went, they were given one clue, one sign by the angel of the Lord. Does anyone who is not in the first service know what it is? You were in the first service. Come on, you're in church. You can't lie in here. No, I'm just kidding. This is the clue that the angel gives them. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. That's the clue. That's it. Good luck. <laughs> and like, what about, this is the thing. This is why I couldn't have been born back then. Because if I have one of the shepherds, I'd raise my hand and be like, hey, angel people. Like, how about an address? How about a last name? Any GPS coordinates? Anything? Map quest me. Like, this could take all night. This could take days to find this baby. Luke 2, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. No, they knew exactly where they were going because Jesus has power over every circumstance. Rewind with me one more time. 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Micah, writing about how at some point in the future, God would establish peace, heal the sick. People would no longer live in fear, no longer live in affliction, that the Lord would rule over his people with righteousness, and it would all come through. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The eternal dominion shall come. 
kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. The tower of the flock was a former watchtower that King David once dwelt in. This tower was located in Bethlehem in what was known as the Shepherd's Field. This tower was three miles from the temple in Jerusalem. This tower became the place where shepherds would bring their ewes who were about to give birth. This tower is where the baby lambs were kept in accordance with Jewish law, spotless and without blemish, because those were the baby lambs that would be used in the temple in Jerusalem for the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of Israel. To keep them spotless and without blemish, when they were born, they were wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger. The word manger does not translate to crib as we think about it. It translates to more of a feeding trough. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It was the exact sign those shepherds would have known. The only clue they needed. And when they arrived at that tower on that silent night, they did not find just another lamb for sacrifice. They were face to face with the Lamb of God who would sacrifice himself to atone for the sins of the world. Only a mighty, mighty God could do this. Only a mighty, mighty God could possibly be in control of every single detail, of every single circumstance. Now why is this good news of great joy for all people? Because Jesus orchestrated all of history not to redeem and restore his circumstances, but yours and mine. This is the basis of Isaiah's prophecy. Israel, you are in miserable darkness, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, and God promised that these circumstances would change from misery to joy. Look again with me at Isaiah 9.3. He writes, you have multiplied the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Four times in that one sentence, joy, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But who was the catalyst for their change of circumstances from misery to joy? It was this dawning light. It was this baby born, the son given. It was Jesus and if you are in darkness spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, that same catalyst is available. The child born, the son given, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah did not write, unto a young woman named Mary, a child would be born. He wrote, unto us, you and me. Jesus is God's ultimate answer for the darkness. He is the ultimate gift to be received by grace through faith. And don't think for a second that Jesus stopped working after his birth. No, no. Orchestrating all of history was just a warm-up 
During the life and ministry of Jesus, he exercises power over blindness, lameness, deafness. He raised people from the dead. He cured the man with dropsy. He healed Malchus's ear. He freed Mary Magdalene from demons. He loosened the tongue of a man who could not speak. He restored the withered hand. He cured the woman with the flow of blood. He redeemed and restored the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery, the woman of the night, and Zacchaeus. He cleansed 10 lepers. He turned water into wine, fed the multitude, walked on water, calmed the storm, pulled a coin out of a fish's mouth, cursed the fig tree. He was working before his birth. He worked during his life, and Scripture makes no mention of his retirement. He is still working today, now, with the same mighty, mighty power he always has. And Trinity is a church, a body of believers, a family who rightly believes that Jesus here and now heals sickness and restores relationships, and redeems the past, breaks the chains of sin, delivers from addiction, brings financial freedom, mends broken hearts, comforts the lonely and grief-stricken, dashes shame and guilt, and I stand before you as living proof that Jesus still raises people from the dead, as it was not that long ago that I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I followed the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. I carried out the passions of my flesh and the desires of my mind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved me, made me alive together with Christ. Have we not heard week after week after week after week now from people here at Trinity about how the Lord brings hope and peace and love and joy? Jesus brings hope into the darkness of a life-changing accident. He brings peace into our life, and then he works through us to bring peace and restoration into the lives of people impacted by devastating circumstances. Jesus brings love into situations in which we've exhausted all of our efforts. He brings rest where there is striving, and he brings joy where there is despair. We've said it before, and I will say it again. Jesus is not a way out of the circumstances of life. He is a way through them. And if you feel gripped by the darkness of your circumstances, know that the darkness has no power. When you walk into a dark room, you do not turn the darkness off. You turn the light on. Joy can be had even in the darkest of situations because true and lasting biblical joy is sourced not in circumstances beyond our control, but in the goodness and the mighty power of the one who controls all circumstances. This mighty power, this good news, this great joy is found in no other name than the mighty name of Jesus Christ. As you sit here today, as we go through this next week in anticipation of Christmas, what do you need divine guidance and instruction for? Turn to the wonderful counselor. What do you need power over and deliverance from? Go to this mighty God. 
Where in your life do you need to experience and rest in the love of Jesus? Run to the outstretched arms of the everlasting Father. What parts of your life do you need restoration? And how can we be change agents to bring about peace and wholeness in the lives of others? Surrender all of those areas of your life to the Prince of Peace. Now let me close with this. It's a beautiful poem written by a woman named Lita Kurtzner. Uh, she's, a, she's a Messianic Jew and a, a, she writes this beautiful poem. She writes, I refuse to be discouraged, to be sad or to cry. I refuse to be downhearted and here's the reason why. I have a God who is mighty, who's sovereign and supreme. I have a God who loves me and I am on his team. He is all wise and powerful. Jesus is his name. Though, ever, though everything is changeable, my God remains the same. My God knows all that's happening, beginning to the end. His presence is my comfort. He is my dearest friend. When sickness comes to weaken me, to bring my head down low, I call upon my mighty God, and to his arms I go. When circumstances threaten to rob me from my peace, he draws me close unto his breast where all my strivings cease. And when my heart melts within me and weakness takes control, he gathers me into his arms and soothes my heart and soul. The great I am is with me. My life is in his hand. The son of the Lord is my hope and in his strength I stand. I refuse to be defeated. My eyes are on my God. He has promised to be with me as through this life I trod. I'm looking past my circumstances to heaven's throne above. My prayers have reached the heart of God. I'm resting in his love. I give my God thanks in everything. My eyes are on his face. The battle's his. His victory's mine. He'll help me win the race. Let me give you one more fact and figure. It's estimated that 117 billion people have lived on this earth. But only one lived for you. Only one died for you. And only one rose for you. Take your hands off your life. Turn it over to this wonderful counselor. The everlasting father. The mighty God. The prince of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the present tense reality that we serve a God who is the only true and living God, the God who controls all of life's circumstances, who orchestrated all of history to be born into our circumstances, to be God with us, that we would become children of God and be children with you. Father, we're thankful for the life of Jesus, that he did what we could not do, living in perfect obedience, not just to the law, but also your will. Obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that three days later, he rose and stood victorious over Satan's sin and death, and he offers each one of us everlasting life, and that life, and that peace, and that hope, and that joy is found in no other name. 
but the mighty name of Jesus. Father, would you take all of this, would you move it from our head into our hearts, and again, would we receive this joy that you have for us, which like light, not just in, it, in its brightness, but also in its warmth, pierces through even the darkest of our situations. And would we live out of that joy into a dark world that so desperately needs this good news of great joy for all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.